0: It has been a monumental year in the pro-life movement, and Americans United for Life has flourished. Our team has adjusted to pandemic challenges and capitalized on crucial opportunities to advance the human right to life. In 2021, the movement proved to be resilient, creative, and strong. This summer, AUL hosted legal fellows and undergraduate interns in the Washington, D.C. office. These fellows spent countless hours researching, writing, and preparing for Dobbs versus Jackson women's health and other crucial decisions like allowing the Texas Heartbeat Act to remain in effect. Today we are joined by Abby Balmert, a former legal fellow who played a huge role in AUL's strong presence in 2021. I'm Anna Claire Noblet, and you're listening to Life, Liberty, and Law. Well, Merry Christmas and Abby it's so good to be back with you. I have missed being around you and it's good to have a little bit of reunion. How are you doing?
1: Yeah absolutely. Merry Christmas to you too. It's funny it feels like the time has flown since the last time we chatted but it's been several months now. It's crazy.
0: Yeah it, it really has. A lot has happened and I'm sh- both of us personally but also in in the life movement. Something that connected mm-hmm. us originally. Um, but 1st tell. Our audience, I know we've we've talked to you before and you you shared about kind of your pro-life story and your work with Mm -hmm. um, women back home, young moms, Mm -hmm. um, who kind of brought you to the pro-life movement originally and really sealed the deal for you. But just introduce yourself, tell us where you're originally from and then what year you are in law school and where.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, as you said, Anna Glare, uh, my name is Abby Balmert. I'm currently a 2L at Georgetown Law School. Um, but prior to working on The Hill, um, I worked for the Pro Life Caucus for the U.S. House of Representatives as deputy director. And I originally hearkened from San Diego, California. So, um, I've been in the pro life movement for a number of years now. Um, and as you said, um, I spent some time in college working at a Shelter for Homeless Pregnant Women and Their Babies, which was a super formative experience. Um, And it's been so exciting, having been in the movement a couple years now, to see these recent developments um, in 2021. So I have very uh, high hopes and confidence um, for 2022. So I guess we'll all see what happens together, what unfolds.
0: Yeah, it's it's a really exciting time. And I'm so glad that we both got to be in DC at the office this summer, um, just preparing and we didn't even know, you know, how, how much it really would pay off. Um, But mm-hmm. yeah, maybe what is what's maybe your most memorable experience from this summer or maybe a conversation that you've had about it since then?
1: Oh, yeah, great question. So um, I think working on the Dobbs brief was definitely the most memorable part of the summer. And knowing um, how important that brief was and how important this case is and the opportunity for really monumental change um, really was not lost on me. And I think being able to work on it for a number of weeks allowed it to sink in uh, and then to receive the copy in the mail after the fact it was really special. So it's now on my shelf, signed by all the staff members. So that was definitely... Uh, the highlight of the summer Um, and obviously there's I mean since then there's been so many conversations I think so many Americans are very interested in um, what might come of all this Um, and many of them you know remember Roe v. Wade personally and they've been um, hoping and praying and fighting for life since and so to to be able to see a potential um, overturning would be a really really special thing for those who have fought since the beginning I think.
0: It really would, yeah. I mean, you think about people like Clark Forsyth and and Steve, and they've just they've really been in it their entire Mm -hmm. lives, and it's been just amazing to be around them. You know, they've been in this longer than we've been alive, and oh yeah, it is just mind blowing um, and so inspiring to watch people give themselves so faithfully to a cause and um, to really see this through to the end. And obviously, Mm -hmm. for America as a whole, and for you know so many individuals who will be impacted. I hope and pray that Roe will be overturned, but even just on a more personal level to see, to have, to have them, you know, be able to retire knowing <laughs> that their hard work has paid off. Um, that's, that's kind of another thing that I'm really hoping for.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think about other important movements for, you know, human rights and civil rights in America that a lot of people fought in and for, but never, you know, didn't get to see the end. Um, so it's really, it would be a beautiful thing to be able to, um, kind of fight and see it through, um, and not simply just have to rely and hope that others will take up the mantle to be able to kind of have taken up the original mantle and then be able to kind of put it to rest would be really, would be really cool. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see. I am leaving for it.
0: And it should be, it should be going down in the history books too, like so many of, you know our other great movements in the history of our country. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, this is its own kind of abolition and its mm-hmm. own kind of um, civil right movement. And, mm-hmm. and I think right now we're just kind of in this place where, you know, it's not it's not what the, the loud majority is fighting for. Mm-hmm. But one day I really do think that people will look back and be, thankful for these voices and thankful for all the work and thankful for the truth tellers um, of mm-hmm. our generation that were, that were standing up. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how maybe people look back on this time and, and maybe are, are more fond of the pro-life movement than they thought.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so too. And I think in the same way that we've had such cultural change since slavery was still, unfortunately, going strong. Um, and we're all kind of so shocked that that could have gone on for so long in our our country and under our constitution. But I, yeah, I think it's going to be the same thing that however many years down the road, it's going to be that same kind of shock and disbelief that um, that there was a time when, you know, culturally abortion was, was accepted um, and normalized. And I'm hoping that, you know, we'll get past that day and be able to look back. And I think it will be kind of hard, right? It'll be hard to look back. Yeah. Um, but like you said, the gratitude that, you know, a new day will dawn. Um,
0: yeah.
1: Well, I'm, yeah, it's going to be a beautiful thing. It is.
0: It will be. Well, let's talk about Dobbs a little bit. I know you've listened okay, yes. to the oral arguments after working so hard <laughs> on that brief um, with Clark. And um, were there any specific moments where you were able to, you know, connect the dots and say, oh, I was really hoping they would bring that up?
1: Yes. Oh my gosh. So many times. So I, I think a lot of, a lot of very, Careful preparation went in to um, into those arguments by the justices, knowing that Americans, the only exposure they're going to get here, right, is uh, legally, is going to be the you know the couple hours of oral arguments and then the opinion itself. And I think the justices were well aware of that in um, the way they went about their questioning to really make sure all the issues came out. Um, so just. The first one that would come to mind, and I think actually maybe this was lost on some people because it didn't get, unsurprisingly, it wasn't a question that was uh, really properly answered. But the point that Justice Thomas made um, to the end of kind of the reality that autonomy had its limits uh, when he brought up a North Carolina case relating to um, pregnant women um, who planted to ta- you know to, to have their babies and, and to carry their pregnancies to term. Um ingesting cocaine and legal ramifications of that. And uh, the you know counsel um for the the pro-abortion side was was wise to try to evade that question because it was a very, a very good, good point that right? when uh, when another life is at stake, um just as with any other human right or you know human or civil or political rights that we have, um that's where the line is drawn. Um, and I think the, that Justice Thomas did a great job with that. And he brought it up a number of times, even though it wasn't quite answered. Um, and other justices t- touched upon that theme as well. And they also were careful to distinguish the abortion issue um, as kind of its own creature in light of the fact that another life is at stake, which isn't the case for any of the other um, more recent kind of rights cases that we've seen in the past um, you know, 10, 15, 20 years. I think that was a really important point to make and to, to help people understand that we can flip row and it's not going to affect any of these other cases that people really care about. I think that was that was a potential concern. And so making that point of uh, what's being asked is to, to return this issue to the states and for the, the court to be, I think, as Kavanaugh said, it was something along the lines of, um, you know, scrupulously uh, neutral, I think was the language he used. Uh, so those were the first two um, that struck me. Um, and even just uh, kind of understanding okay, the reasons for overturning precedent. Yeah. Um, and and the case in the kind of perspective how on one hand the court when it wants to will will adhere to precedent and and um and trumpet the importance of precedent and and sticking by it. But then you see kind of the anti canon, anti-canon of cases that thank God they were overturned. Exactly. Right. Uh, like Plessy versus Ferguson, um, mm. so that was a really important point. I think that was made to understanding, um, you know, if if the if the court has gotten the law wrong and it's had negative effects and stuff, and, and a case and its um, progeny hasn't like rose, progeny hasn't been workable. The only you know, and, and human life is at stake. Maybe f- foremost of all, that the only thing that can be do can be done would be to overturn it. Um, and I think I'm kind of uh, Putting some of the themes a little, a little bit more clearly than uh, than maybe the justices did, but I think that that's what a lot of them were getting at with their questioning.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think so too. We just released a um, an article on AUL.org that the title is Rose Reversal Would Not Be Unprecedented. Like mm. this is how our system is designed to be able to make mm. mistakes and reverse them and learn from what happens whenever laws are enacted. Um, mm-hmm. and yeah, I mean, she just goes through the history of the court revoking or limiting past quote unquote constitutional rights. And some of them are mm-hmm. absolutely outrageous. And they are things that we would, you know, we would never want to be upheld anymore. I mean, the, the Dred Scott decision or like, mm-hmm. there's just so much, um, in our history where we've, we've been able to look at, look at the law and say, no, this is, this was wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. And so, thankfully, I think Chief Justice Roberts was the one who brought up Plessy. um, And he, it was just such a a great moment for us, I think, to hear, like, yes, finally, you're understanding that, like, this is an option. And it's something that Mm -hmm. you may even, you definitely owe the American people who have been killed by abortion. So, Mm -hmm. it's, yeah, it's very hopeful but just so weighty and it's like Mm -hmm. man to see people targeting this as oh the court doesn't need to get political like this is one time where we just i don't know i just wish people could understand the weight and um the the impact that this issue has on the trajectory of america and just what we stand for Mm -hmm.
1: um yeah yeah and on that point of kind of getting political um that was definitely something that I noticed being brought up, especially by justices Sotomayor um, mm-hmm. and maybe Breyer. And I think it's important to understand that given that there's people with strong views on both sides um, that, you know, I think the argument is, has been kind of made to us that, Oh, it would be such a political move to to flip it, but it would be just as political to keep,
0: to yeah. keep
1: Roe in place. It's not. And, and I think by, by reversing it, it's returning what is a political issue to the realm of politics and state legislatures, which is where it belongs, you know, and I think that was just like interesting that uh, I just don't think I buy uh, by that argument. Um, And there was some strong language about it. too. I think Sotomayor was, was warning the rest of the court, something about kind of the stench of, yes, a political, a political move. And And I'm just like, ooh, the the political move was Roe v. Wade. Like that was when the court was getting involved involved politically. That in went way That it should in, and, and we need to um, kind of preserve the court mm-hmm. and its uh, kind of non political position as you know as a judiciary and leave politics to the legislature.
0: Right. What are you learning about the Supreme Court at Georgetown? I mean, are we at a place that is where where the court has moved into you know territory that they're not supposed to be in?
1: Oh, that's a good question. So I'd say, uh, so I actually just finished taking uh, constitutional law too, which covers the uh, 14th amendment and the first and second Amendments. Okay. So a lot of individual liberties, so kind of just this topic. And it's definitely true that when you look at the history of the court, uh, there have been times where you'll read a decision, especially some of these decisions like Plessy v. Ferguson or Dred Scott v. Uh, Sanford, that you'll read them and and you'll be confused because it's, it's poor reasoning because uh, and you can kind of understand that there were po- there was a political environment at the time um, that perhaps led to the law not being um, interpreted uh, really in a maybe with with total integrity. Um, with as as with the I mean as with respect to the current court that we have, um, I think a lot of people are and my professor among them are just interested to see um, kind of how this court will navigate. Because I think we have a lot of um, individuals on this court now who um, have originalist sentiments, who care about looking back to the original public meaning um, of the Constitution um, at its founding and at the, first, uh, the uh, passage of the fourteenth, 13th, 14th, and 15th Amendments. So it'll be interesting to kind of see where this goes. And I think there's suddenly um, a return to looking more seriously at lines of cases and lines of reasoning that the court has exercised that some have thought would fall by the wayside. Um, one of them being, uh, there's something called the Glucksberg two-step, which refers. To, Glucksberg was a, a case relating to physician-assisted suicide that uh, the court found that there was not a fundamental right, you know, deeply rooted in the history and con- uh, history and tradition of the United States and of the Constitution, um, you know, of a right to physician-assisted suicide. And some thought that that kind of approach to to finding fundamental rights would fall by the wayside in favor of the liberty approach that we see in Casey and um, a number of other cases. so it'll it it'll be interesting to see uh, I think that we're definitely going to see a resurrection of of that uh, more traditional approach to fundamental rights. Uh, and of course, a right to abortion is not would not be found among one of those fundamental rights. Um, but and that those and that those kind of those two ap- approaches to fundamental rights did come up, up in the arguments as well. So we'll see. We'll see where the court goes. But um, I'm hopeful that we're going to see a return to kind of rule of law.
0: Yeah, I think I think there's a, an opportunity to at least. And people will always say that whatever decision they don't like, you know, is is outside mm-hmm. of the the reach of the, the court, and mm-hmm. uh, that's just kind of a a classic jab um, but when we think about you know the opportunity like the chance that maybe you know the original decision was the one that was out of step or the one that was Mm -hmm. highly overly politicized I mean it's just it's hard it's one of those things that's like it's hard for someone who hasn't really studied this to know um, mm-hmm. what, what the right thing is and how mm-hmm. the board was designed and how all the different branches were designed. So I'm always, I feel like I'm always asking questions about how are the checks and balances actually supposed to work? And mm-hmm. I still don't quite understand And I have a lot of hope that it's it's working, but um seems like it can easily get off balance.
1: Yes, I think history has shown that, yeah. that it can. Although I think, you know, any honest law student or honest lawyer and we've seen this, I think, in, in some law review articles, even written by those who would support uh, or, and do and or have supported a right to abortion who admit that Roe is not a well-reasoned opinion, and, and it's probably yeah. me. So I think I really have a lot of respect for them, who they're willing to kind of show their cards of of the kind of uh, world and kind of rights they like to see, but they admit that you can't, you can't, um, you can put a, a uh, is it? Uh, a wolf in sheep's clothing, but if you look carefully, you're still you're still seeing a wolf just in sheep's clothing. So that's different from an authentic sheep, right? Yeah. Um, so I think that I think that I've I noticed that among my colleagues and and with my professor, where you a, a lot of them were, you know, intellectually honest and willing to admit that Roe, wow, like Roe does not read like a legal opinion uh, because wow. it's not it's not a, it's not well written, it's not well reasoned. Yeah. Um,
0: Well, that's what I wanted to ask is how has Uh, it been, you know, this fall at Georgetown? I mean, what is it like? Do you feel isolated as a pro-life individual? I mean, um, do you kind of, do you have anybody that sees the world similarly or is it a lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of challenge?
1: Yeah, good question. So um, I'm vice president of the, of Advocates for Life at Georgetown. So I have kind of my crew of pro-lifers. But I think it's important to remember that kind of on the ground, there's a lot more common ground um, on the issue. And even those who would not want to see abortion entirely eradicated agree that really serious limits should be put on it. And I think in returning the question to the states, which would happen if Roe is overturned, when Roe is overturned, um, that that's what will happen. We'll see kind of a hodgepodge of of laws protecting um, the unborn at, at different kind of stages when, when people, the, you know, the majority of any given state um, decides that it's important to start protecting them. Um, and a lot of people can get on board with that. Um, so I think it's actually a limited few who, who want to oppose um, kind of elective abortion for nine months on the country. Um, I think a lot of people would happily see more restrictions than what we see now Even if they wouldn't want to protect life, you know, from conception. So uh, that I think is important to know that the the kind of voices we hear um, from the big players on this issue don't really reflect even this, you know, the the largely um, kind of pro-choice students on campus, and a lot of them are willing to listen um, to the other side, which I I think you don't always get the sense of when when there's like a Twitter spat, but uh, when you're face to face conversations are a lot more fruitful.
0: Yeah. Well, that's great to hear. That's very Mm -hmm. encouraging. What what has it been, uh, I guess, what has your Advocates for Life Group been up to this fall?
1: Yeah. So we actually had um, the lovely Catherine Glenn Foster um, to come and speak uh, with us and yeah, have a great conversation. Um, There were activities coordinated for the Day of the Arguments um, at um, at the court, at the at Supreme Court. And we also had Helen Alvarez, um, yeah. who's an awesome pro- le- uh, law professor at um, the George Mason uh, Law School. She spoke um, about Dobbs and um, and kind of women and women's rights. It was really interesting. Yeah, she was one of uh, the authors great of her.
0: the women's brief.
1: Yes, exactly. So yeah, she spoke about mm-hmm. her brief. Um, yeah, so we've had some activities. And some people, I think, um, kind of seeing the the highlights of you know Dobbs and women like they came not being necessarily pro-life minded but um, were exposed to kind of some some new and different and compelling arguments which is which is great to see I think
0: yeah yeah how have you been able to communicate your AUL experience and just your pro-life perspective with classmates I mean what what seems to be the argument or the piece of Your worldview that really connects the most with people from all backgrounds.
1: I think we may have talked about this in our last um, meeting, but I think the power of of storytelling, personal storytelling, um, and I mean, everyone's known a pregnant woman. You know, everyone knows a pregnant woman, and anyone who's been and been with a pregnant woman, like there's not really a doubt, you know, that she's pregnant with her child. And and so telling those stories of, of women I've known who have found themselves pregnant unexpectedly and when weren't uh, or didn't feel ready Um, and kind of their, their stories and their journeys and the beauty that came from it has definitely kind of been the thing that's connected me to classmates the most, I think. Um, And, and I think even if my voice falls on, on deaf ears for now, and in some cases I'm sure it has, there definitely are plenty of students who are very anxious and concerned and I'm sure you've seen kind of like the, keep your bands off our bodies. Mm -hmm. There were some masks uh, and t-shirts. There was some definitely representation from the other side, but um, you know, all we can do is we can plant these seeds and we can invite people to question. And I've had friends throughout the semester, suddenly shoot me a text and say, okay, I have 24 weeks. I can't, I I can't support abortion before 24 weeks anymore. It's, it's too personal. My sister's pregnant and I'm going to be an uncle or I saw the ultrasound. Like, and it's clearly a baby, you know, and it was just like 19 weeks. And so I think it's been cool because I'm known for being pro-life girl. So if people are going to move, if the ball is going to move for them and they're going to become more pro-life I'm the first person they're going to, you're going to hear tell that. Cause they know, yeah. Cause they know I'm going to be very excited to hear it. So, uh, so that's awesome. So I'm hoping this is just the beginning. I have, um, some friends who we were waiting until finals to be able to sit down and, and talk through the class. Cause obviously we went through all the, um, abortion cases in, in con law too. So I'm excited to kind of debrief with some classmates about it who know know where I stand and who they themselves maybe don't yet stand with me. So that'll be a good, that'll be a good time. Right.
0: Yeah. And we talk about this, this whole life pro-life perspective, right. Of just being able to celebrate the human person. And if we live that way in the day to day, I mean, it's pretty attractive, right. I I would think that people um, are going to want to be around you and want to hear what you have to say mm-hmm. about those cases because they know how you treat them on a daily basis. And that that's my hope for how I want to live pro-life, not just advocate for this one issue, which obviously is so mm-hmm. important, but that our daily actions would speak so much louder than even on those days where there's a big case. Um, mm-hmm. And that all of the culmination of our, our daily um affirmation of the people around us and their value Mm -hmm. would would really cause people to want to listen um, and not Mm -hmm. just uh, and not be hard-hearted towards um, Mm -hmm. some of the things that they have heard on Twitter so
1: yes yeah that's such a good point I think it definitely um, sometimes maybe at first bewilders and and puzzles um, some of my friends because obviously I I love them and my classmates and I love them and I'm kind to them and accept them and see their dignity and worth Even though, you know, I, like, from their perspective, I, they probably think that I think that they support, you know, the killing of human beings, which is, you know, objectively true, but I both recognize the culture we've all been born into, and, you know, if they, if I feel that they have these erroneous beliefs, it doesn't make their own worth any less, and so I think it kind of, that can be something that can move people of, wow, this girl thinks that you know, the unborn are human and knows what I believe about this. And reason would seem to dictate that they would, you know, I would shun them or, or refuse to speak with them or engage. And that's obviously not, that's the farthest thing from the truth. And so I think that can get, that can get the wheels turning for sure. For sure.
0: Yeah. That's so powerful. I love it. Um, Well, how do you hope the court will respond in June? What's your wildest dreams?
1: Um, I would say my wildest dreams are also what I am confident for. I mean, it's pretty, I mean, I'm being, I'm, I'm a, I'm, I'm a hopeful person, but I'm hoping for six, a six, three overturning of, of row. Um, and I, I think that, um, maybe I was cautiously hopeful for a five, four going into the arguments at the beginning of December, but after, I mean, bringing my law school background and thinking about. The kinds of questions and the way that questions are asked when you're coming from different perspectives, and then to see the kinds of questions and the way that questions were asked, and which questions were asked by specific justices, I was very hopeful. I'm very and am very hopeful that there's really and they the court covered it like okay, is there any alternative? Like, can can the Casey undue burden standard be? you know, made workable. And, and the answer, it was kind of very, uh, cursely done away with of, nope, it can't be okay. Moving on. So uh, yeah. So I think that those arguments were so encouraging and I, I just don't see how, how we'll see anything but a flipping of row. It's just a matter of it's, if it's going to be a six three, or a five, four, um, all right.
0: well, that's all yeah, we'll so, for Christmas, right?
1: Yeah. All I'm for Christmas is, for the babies to be protected, uh, <laughs> the moms, yeah. So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I'll have to wait. It'll be it'll be a uh, kind of half a year delayed present. Christmas in it, June. But, yeah, Christmas in June, but I'm ready for it. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. Wow.
1: Yeah, what do you? What about you? What do you think?
0: Yeah, I I'm hoping for the same thing, and I think you know, think, being around um, our AUL lawyers and seeing their their just delight and honestly shock of. of you know how the arguments went, and you know trying to trying to protect our hearts, but be be very hopeful. Mm-hmm. And um, I think everything really is pointing in the direction of um, an overturn. But also, I've been so excited just about the conversations that have been started around it, mm-hmm. and how much you know. Even me still being a student, and people asking me about it, like you were saying, mm-hmm. like you as a pro life person, people are this is a time where people are really starting to examine what they believe. And, yeah. and so getting to have those conversations in, in a, a setting of just curiosity and, and um, it being something that is trending a little bit, I think is a huge opportunity in mm-hmm. itself. Um, so yeah, it's oh, been, yeah, I
1: totally agree. It's been fun. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, we always uh, wrap up with a shot of gratitude. So I'd nice. love to hear something that you're grateful for, as well as maybe a Christmas tradition you're looking forward to.
1: Ooh, uh, okay, so I'll do it, I'll answer in reverse. So Christmas okay. tradition is um, eating going to Christmas Eve mass and eating Thai food and watching It's a Wonderful Life with Jimmy Stewart is okay. a big Christmas tradition for my family. So looking forward to that um, and with all the family members home. Thai food
0: is a nice and twist.
1: Yes, yes, Thai food. ahead of the kind of, of course, very traditional Christmas brunch and Christmas dinner. Um, and then something oh, there's so much to be grateful for. Um, I'm grateful to be right in the middle of law school in the throes of um kind of my legal education with so much to look forward to and with so much expectation, um, to have already witnessed um all that I have for life, looking at the number of state laws that have been passed and and knowing that um I'm, I'm just involved in the most important issue of our times. Um, I think I just, I have such a grateful heart to be, um, to to be placed in the middle of it. I don't feel worthy, but I'm, um, I have a heart that's willing to kind of love and willing to fight. So I think at this juncture, having just had the arguments, it's a time of really reflecting on that. Um, and the gift that it is to be in this moment, especially with there being so much hope for, um, for change is really a really a gift, and knowing, of course, that there'll be more work to be done at state level um, once Roe is is finally um, taken down. But that's just it's a special thing. It's a it's a privilege and it's a gift, um, and of course, it's a it's also a challenge. But um, I'm so happy to be doing it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, how about you? Though? Yeah,
0: I'm looking forward to Christmas morning. My family we love to make a monkey bread cake. And happy birthday to Jesus with candles. <laughs> <That's> <laughs>
1: Amazing.
0: Something that I'll never grow out of. <laughs> sure. oh. Um, and such a time of just thankfulness and, and gratitude. Mm-hmm. I think there's specifically been um, like I said, just a lot of a lot of really cool opportunities to have conversations about life. And Christmas always reminds me just being with mm-hmm. family of all ages, whether it's babies up until up to mm-hmm. my grandparents, it always reminds me you know, just how beautiful life is at every stage. And yeah. um, it's something that we look forward to all year because we get to remember that. And and whatever, you know, at the hard moments of the year, we're like, well, you know, we know we're going to be together then and or we know we're going to remember mm-hmm. lost loved ones then and, and really celebrate this life, um, mm-hmm. just like the movie. It's a wonderful life. It really is. Yes. Amen. Love that. A of episodes recently because it's just a great testament to mm-hmm. – um, to what we believe so yeah thank you so much abby merry christmas yeah, and thank
1: you you too we'll
0: talk again soon if you enjoyed this episode with abby please give us a rating on apple podcasts leave us a review wherever you listen and tell a friend about us we want to reach as many people as possible with the message of advancing the human right to life if you have any comments questions or suggestions drop us an email at life at aul.org You can find more resources about what we've been working on in 2021 at AUL.org. I'm Anna-Claire Knoblet. Until next time, thanks for listening to Life, Liberty, and Law and supporting Americans United for Life. Merry Christmas.